My first question before I get into anything is, what did Mike say to you guys last week? I was a little concerned about what he might be talking to you guys about. Um, no, I, man, how many of you guys uh, had fun listening to Courtney preach? You guys here for Courtney? Wasn't he awesome? It's grateful to have friends like him. Uh, Michael preached last week. Uh, can we give him a hand? I really appreciated Mike preaching. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, the, the band and all the people that are serving, you know, um, kind of on a stage helping us worship as a community, I'm so thankful, but there's so many people who are working behind the scenes doing the, uh, a lot of the, the details that, that if we didn't have them, we didn't have that going, our, we wouldn't be able to have a Sunday service and gather. So I just want to thank everybody who's doing behind the scenes, all the leaders who are stepping in. Stepping in. We had uh, a team of leaders who left, um, two of which were on our advisory team, so we had a lot of leaders gone. And um, I just am so grateful that we have a church that that can um, that can lead um, even when leaders are out. And I, I think that's a sign of a healthy church because we don't want to be a personality-driven church. We want to be driven on purpose. The purposes of Christ. So um, let's see where to start. Um, I was gone in Africa. I was gone in Africa, and God did some incredible things. And uh, so what I'd like to do is, uh, we ended up shifting my sermon a little bit. Um, I, we were going to have two weeks uh, on our series uh, in generosity, generous God, generous people. But we didn't know exactly how it was going to go in Africa. We had an idea, but, but you don't know until you hit the ground. And we wanted to make sure that the partnership was a good fit and the right, and the right partnership. And uh, God did some incredible things. So what I wanted to do was share with you a little bit about that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to kind of do uh, half my sermon, and then we're going to we're going to uh, push the rest to next week. You guys okay with that? So I can share a little bit about what happened in Africa. Okay. So here's here's what happened. Here I just want to give you um, some snapshots of what God is doing, and uh, we're going to be unpacking this over the really the next couple months. Um, but we've been praying, praying, praying as a church for the right partnership to have a global ministry, global mission. Um, the Bible teaches us that, that we're, we're to, to um, be witnesses in our own backyard. You know, the Bible says like in Jerusalem or uh, Judea, but then it says to the ends of the earth. And so we're not just called for our own neighborhoods, not just called for our own region, but also to, to be a blessing to the world. And so we've been praying about this. And, um, and what we did was we, we flew at the invitation uh, of partnership. Um, with the country and leaders of Sierra Leone. And what we did is we actually flew with a team to Rwanda first. And the reason we went to Rwanda is Rwanda is a place that has provided a model of country, city, and district transformation. Um, I don't know if you know about this. Some of you guys might. Uh, In 1994, I believe in the April of 1994, um, the Rwandan genocide happened. It was a hundred days of vicious, horrible uh, murder. Uh, the genocide that took place um, over a hundred day period, um, there were over a million people who were brutally murdered with machetes in the worst ways you can imagine. When we were in Rwanda, we got an opportunity to go to the genocide museum that sh- shared the story and you could see viscerally... Um, all that had happened. So when 94, after this had happened and the um, genocide had been quelled, the, um, 
the country was in shambles. The infrastructure was ruined. The leadership, um, well, who's going to lead this? Uh, the country's identity was shaken to the core. Um, most of Rwanda had identified as different tribes um, that had enmity between them and had been for years and had been planted by the colonials who had, um, be, who had uh, settled in there a, you know, probably in the 17 and 1800s. Anyhow, the, the genocide occurred and the country was just in ruins. And um, the, uh, the leader who emerged there, Paul Kagame, had a vision of, of one Rwanda that could come together. And so what we ended up seeing, and it was happened over the last 14 years, is a nation transform and rise from the ashes. Um, it, one of the catalyzing features of this is when we went to Rwanda, we saw churches across denominations that have unified to bless and transform the nation. Um, churches that have partnered with the public and the private sectors, business and government, for the transformation of their country. Um, Rwanda um, was the worst place to invest in the, in the 90s and now has become one of the top places to invest in, um, in modern day. It's amazing how far they've come. There's... Um, in most African nations, there's no, um, you know, there's no sanitation services. They don't have the infrastructure for that kind of thing. And so garbage is everywhere. In Rwanda, they said, we are going to be a clean nation. And so every month, they, they uh, practice gathering in districts and villages. And they work together to clean the nation. And they've, got, they've become so clean that now they're taking on work projects. They decided no one's going to live in huts anymore. We're, we're raising the standard of living. We're changing the way we're going to operate. Um, and now, they, now they, um, they, they'll take projects like they'll build homes for people in their own communities. So each district and each village is getting together and they're working out uh, issues, conflicts that have, that have arisen. They're working on building together. It's incredible. We actually spent a Saturday um, working on a road um, with a community, with a district, and the mayor came out, and um, the whole community was working together, and afterward, they had a huge dance, and after the dance, they had like all these public leaders from the private, from the uh, public, and also from the faith sector get together and share all the good things that are going on. They were able to um, share, here's some of the big things that we're trying to tackle, uh, teen pregnancy, drug issues, and they were pinpointing them, and as a community, they were solving them, and so we'd, basically, what we saw was the transformation of a nation, the church at the center of this, um, working across denominations, Anglicans, Baptists, um, non-denominational denominations that are working together, things that you couldn't see in a city in America that have come together for the good of God's grace in that, in that country. Now, before this all happened, Rwanda is identified by their separate tribes. Now they identify as one people. It is incredible the work of God that he's been doing there. Um, and a friend mentioned from the last service, just to give you an idea of where they had come from. Again, that genocide, a million, over a million people killed was 10% of the population murdered. 
And they've been able to bring peace and reconciliation, infrastructure, roads, um, business, uh, uh, job creation. It has been unbelievable. And so we were going there to learn and see with our own eyes what the church is actively doing. Um, It's not normal. I don't think it's normal even in America for churches sometimes to get outside the four walls and be a blessing to their community as much as it should. And certainly in areas in Africa, it's not the norm to get outside the four walls. And in Rwanda, that's happening. And incredible partnerships are happening. So we um, went to Rwanda for partnership. And Sierra Leone is a country, the, the many leaders there had seen it, what had happened in Rwanda. And their country has been through a 10, well, it was actually more toward 11, 12 years of civil war. They've gone through a lot of hardship and they saw what had happened there. And there are church leaders that said, we want to partner with that. And so we were going as an internationally partnering church to look and see if it was, this would be a good fit and if this would be something that, that the nation would want. And uh, as, we, as we got to know our friends, we met some incredible people. What we were looking for were men and women of peace. The Bible teaches that in Luke chapter 10, that we're to look for people of peace, people who have open hearts, who have soft hearts, who want to partner, who want to work together. And they want to look, how can, what do we have in common rather than what do, what do we have that's different? And um, I am tell you, telling you, we met some, some people of peace, some men and women of peace. We, um, there's a picture of... Uh, in Rwanda, um, where we met some incredible pastors. Uh, there's, they're friends now. This is uh, Bishop Julius, this is Pastor uh, Abraham, Pastor Victor, and then um, my friend, Reverend uh, Jonathan Titus Williams. And we got to meet these guys, and, and they have hearts to see their country transformed. We flew with them over to uh, Sierra Leone. We got to see firsthand what's going on in Sierra Leone. And friends, um, it is a beautiful country with a beautiful people. But there is a, there, there's poverty that is overwhelming in the country. And um, when we were in Rwanda, we were learning about how to partner with what's called the peace plan. It was initiated by Saddleback. That's what initiated um, real um, church movement in Rwanda. And it really is tackling uh, five major giants of spiritual emptiness, uh, illiteracy, health issues, self-serving leadership, and poverty. And, And so we were looking for people of peace, but also pastors and leaders, uh, spiritual leaders who wanted to be giant killers, who wanted to, who wanted to um, remove self-serving leadership and replace it with servant leadership, illiteracy with literacy, poverty with wealth creation, spiritual emptiness with, with the, the, the spiritual life and vitality of God. And, and we found some incredible people. When we went there, these leaders um, actually set up an event um, where we, we met with um, 200, almost 200 pastors. Now, mind you, they had to cut, they had more than enough people that would want to come to something like this. This meeting, we were sharing the vision to bring peace and transformation to a country in the model that we see in Rwanda, where the church is ignited and the church unites. And when the church unites and the tide rises, all the boats rise. Um, We were able to share that vision of discipleship and, and peace and transformation with 200 of the top leaders in Sierra Leone. Our friends in Rwanda ended up being the people of peace we needed to meet, and they were able to get top denominational leaders, 
um, because in Africa, the way things work typically is it's very hierarchical. And we got to meet with those leaders and share this vision. Um, 200 gathered. Top leaders, Anglican, Baptist, Wesleyan, like just different backgrounds. that You, you couldn't even see that happening in a city in America. Gathered together, these are national leaders, and, and they asked, and they, they said, we want the peace plan. I remember we were sitting, um, show the next picture. We were sitting in lunch, at lunch. These are like the leaders of leaders in the country of Sierra Leone, and um, we said, well, we want to make sure that we're adding value. We don't ever want to go to a place where we aren't needed or invited, and the, one of the head bishops, he's an older guy, very cool. Like he had the coolest, like, uh, oh, I remember the coolest overcoat and he had this purple shirt on. I'm a Husky fan, so we connected immediately. He goes, uh, he puts his hand up and he goes, hey, um, just, we, we, can send, we can write you a letter inviting your church to be a partner church with us in this, but just let's go around the room. All in favor? And the room just erupted. And he says, hey, you are officially, your church is officially invited to be the internationally partnering church. So friends, we are invited by the leaders in Sierra Leone to be a partnering church. And uh, these people are incredible. These leaders are incredible, and, and we're so excited to partner with them. Partnership means like we're not going to be going to build wells. We're not going to be going to, to invest lots of uh, money in projects as a church. What partnership means is that we will fund our way to get over there and begin training the churches to have a healthy discipleship process. Um, and then we're going to be implementing what we call, we bless, it's, it's a blessing strategy to get the church outside of the four walls. And we're, we're going to be discovering what God is already doing there and trying to link it up and, and mobilize the church. All we're doing is helping partner and mobilizing the church to get outside the four walls and be the solutions in their own community. Because we don't want to be the hero, we want to, we want to be hero makers, we want to equip the Sierra Leone church with the best that we have and also just making connections with what they, with what they already have going on because there's churches that are doing some incredible things over in this realm with foster care in Sierra Leone. There's other churches that are doing some incredible things with life skill and we want to link those up and we want to empower a, a, church, a church-led nationwide movement. And, and, and the leaders we met are hungry for that their their hearts are soft soil for that they want to they're hungrier to work together than i see pastors in the in the united states and we have so much to learn from from our friends there might be a picture of me preaching i got invited to preach um those are not my pajamas um my friend uh, bishop julius laga if you're watching this we love you in your church um he leads a city center church uh and he invited uh, me to preach um, he saw the clothing that uh, we were wearing in Rwanda, and when we got to Sierra Leone, when we got off the boat, you have to take a little ferry to, uh, to get from the airport to Freetown. You go across the bay. Uh, he had his personal tailor come and tailor myself, Pastor Scott, and Samantha. We were the three that made it to Sierra Leone. The others didn't. They had to go home. They're still alive. They're okay. Um, so people were like, oh, um, it's kind of how we weed out the weak from the strong here at Whitewater. So, but they, he gave, it was an ama- like the suit was incredible. I just felt like amazing preaching. I don't know how good I was doing. That's his wife. I think she might be sleeping in the back, but, um, man, it was amazing. And, uh, and, uh, when, when we were, when 
I showed my wife on WhatsApp. You know, it's what everybody uses internationally. I showed her, and she was like, you look like a white T'Challa from Black Panther. And I, sh- I shared that with my friend Julius. He couldn't stop laughing. He was like, oh, yes, not as cool, but yes. <laughs> so um, it was incredible, you guys. Uh, the trip was amazing. And it was incredible to be at a city center church, um, pa- um, pastor or bishop, uh, Laga is an incredible leader. He actually stayed through the Civil War when many le- left and, uh, um, and, and ran. He stayed through the Civil War, all 10 years of it, serving his city. And he's earned the right to speak and lead and bless that community in some incredible ways. Men like him um, are inviting us to partner with them. And I couldn't be more excited, you guys. So we'll be unpacking more of what that means. I could share a lot more. Um, but I'm excited about what God is doing and uh, we'll kind of unveil these things as we move forward. You guys excited? Man, I'm so excited. All right, so to the first half of my sermon. Let me pray and we will, uh, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful for you. So grateful that, um, that our... Uh, we can think that our family is like our nuclear family. We can think our family is like uh, extended network family. But Lord, the family of God extends globally. There are brothers and sisters that we will be getting to know over the years. This is a long-term partnership. And we are going to get to see and know more about the family that you died for. The family of God that has so much to give to the American church. The way they treat family the way they treat relationship, the way they've uh, led in peace and reconciliation in the African church. We need that in a divided time, Lord. We need that. So God, thank you for creating the partnership for such a time as this. And we look forward to the gifts that the African church in Sierra Leone has to give to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I asked Mike um, to start our series on generosity. Again, it was going to be two weeks, but I wanted to make sure we shared a little bit of uh, what happened in Sierra Leone and Rwanda. Um, And Mike did a great job. I thought Mike just did a fantastic job. What I'm wanting to do is to continue building off of the rich young ruler. How many of you guys were here for that last week, the story of the rich young ruler? I'm going to read that, but we're going to, we're going to continue kind of unpacking some of the layers of it. And uh, if you have your notes, you can take those out. We won't get through all of them. We'll finish that next week. Um, but um, let's, let's jump in to this. Generosity. Um, first thing I want you to know is as we talk about generosity, here's, here's a few things Provisos. If you're not a Christian or you're just a new Christian, just know that, that, that I, we're talking about these things because we want to become like our Heavenly Father. I want our church to, to be a church that's a transformed church, that's a changed church. It's different than the world around it. I, I want our church to, to not buy into self-serving leadership. I don't, I don't want us to be a selfish church. I don't want us to be a, a church that's uh, you know pointing to itself and thinks it's a big deal. Uh, I don't want to be a church that just buries its, hand, its head in the sand and pretends like the world is, is, is going to do its own thing and, and, and is going to separate itself from the world. We want to be in the world as salt and light. And if we're going to be salt and light, we need to be like our Heavenly Father. And the Bible teaches us in the, one of the most memorable verses, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he 
you can't, you can't love without giving. I've heard it said you can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. And if we want to become like our Heavenly Father, if we want to trust that He knows best for us who we could be and should be, then we want to become generous people. Because we serve a generous God, we want to give a picture to the world of generous people. Amen? So if you're not a Christian or you're a new Christian here, that's why we're talking about this. Because we want to, we want to put our, our money where our mouth is. We want to be the people of God. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for some time and you've been learning and the, to, to be a generous person, learning about giving and about tithing, about um, um, offering uh, as worship and some of this is unfamiliar or it's scary. It's like, how do we do this? It's a process. And there's aspects of our heart that are you know, catching up with our mind and catching up with our actions and, and, and it's, it's not linear. And, it's, and I just want you guys to know like, it's okay to just grow at the pace you're growing. But here's the thing. Jesus creates a standard of generosity. And he doesn't lower the standard of, ge- standard of generosity, of being radically generous in a world that is radically selfish. He doesn't want to take some of the cookies um, on, the, on the top shelf and put them down on the lower shelf. He does take some things and give us love and acceptance and life change. Like you don't have to clean your life up to come to Jesus. How many of you guys know that? You can belong before you believe, and I just think that's an incredible thing, but he doesn't take some of the cookies off the top shelf, the generosity of God. He doesn't like lower the bar there, um, not because he wants us to feel shame. Jesus, Jesus um, teaches generosity not for us to feel shame, but so that we can become changed. Like a good teacher or a good parent, he, he knows who we can become. And we might be starting here and we're working our way up the mountain. We're working our way up to becoming generous. But God wants us to see who we can become. He doesn't want to, to shortchange us. He doesn't want us to buy into the religion of America, which is, is like the American dream is... is um, it's the, it's the dream of more will make you happy. If I just have more of this, if I just had more of this bank account, then I'd be happy. If I just had more in this job, I'd be happy. And it's like the only reason that we think we'd be happy with more is because we're comparing, 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 comparing. And it's this disease of greed in our, in our country and in our world. And Jesus doesn't want us to settle for something less than all that God has for us. Amen? Now, if you've been giving for some time and you've, you've figured um, out some generosity and you're a tither or you're someone who gives over and above and you're, you're a generous person, sometimes when you come to a, a sermon or a teaching about this stuff, it can be easy to tune out. How many of you guys have ever tuned out on one of my sermons? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember who you were. That was not for this sermon. I'm going to get... Hmm. I know who my real friends are. My wife raised her hand too, just so you guys know. Um, um, American dream, it leads us empty. It's like, it's a dream of, of, of consumption. And it's like, I imagine someone who's drinking sand over and over and never being full. And the life of Christ teaches us a way of generosity that's unbelievable. And if you have figured generosity out and you've learned to be generous, one of the things when we tune out, there are aspects of our heart and our life that God wants to speak into even when we think we have it figured out. And if we tune out, we do not hear what God has to say to us. 
And there, in my journey with Christ, I can read the Bible, hear a sermon, hear something. I'm like, oh, I think I have that figured out. But every time I look at the scripture, every time I open my heart, God has something new to teach me. I thought I knew it all. I thought I knew that story. And then there's this new layer and it's like, Man, God is, He has more for me. And that's one of the most beautiful things is that when we follow Jesus, there's always more that can change in our life. And we are being changed from glory to glory, beauty to beauty. God wants to see you transformed. And the other thing is if, if you've, you've, you know, figured generosity out and you've become generous and, and you're learning and you've grown in that area, here's the other thing I think that needs to be mentioned. Um, Jesus gave the Great Commission. Do you guys know what that is? The Great Commission. Go into the world and what? Make disciples. Don't make disciples of America or corporations or whatever. Make disciples of Jesus. Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the the Trinitarian, relational, love, um, generous God Baptize them in that reality. And then it says, teach them everything I've taught you. I wonder sometimes if churches struggle with generosity. Not because it's not taught once in a while. But because it's not embodied in the people so strongly that they teach it. It's good to be practicing generosity. It's even better to practice it and teach it. In my family growing up, because of their family growing up, because of their family growing up, money was a topic that we didn't talk about a whole lot. How can you learn how to manage money and know what money is and know how to be generous if people don't talk about it? For a church that's afraid to talk about it, afraid to teach to it. Friends, we are called, all of us, to be disciples. It's not the pastor is called to the Great Commission to train everybody to follow the the commands of Jesus. It's everyone who becomes a follower of Jesus teaches what they know to somebody else, teaches what they know. And so this, friends, as we teach through this, um, write notes down. We're going to be looking at scriptures, teachings of Jesus that you can teach your kids and equip them for a life of transformation. They don't have to wait and be in their 20s or 30s and someday hear something and be like, man, why didn't mom and dad teach me that? Then you, you, this is for your friends and your groups and people that God has put into your life that, that maybe you could, you could share with them the gift of generosity, the gift of what God has given you is to teach them. And so as we teach this, there are so many reasons to allow God to teach us so that you can teach others, you can practice generosity and you can be a transformed person. Amen? All right. The rich young ruler. It's interesting in the story that you're not supposed to know he's the rich young ruler until the end of the story. As we read this story, a man comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, isn't it? Like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to be right with God? I think that's an important question. The motives for asking it are always important too. Listen to this in verse 19. Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good, but the answer, to answer your question, you know the commandments. He sees this guy is a religious Jew following religious Jewish law. And so Jesus says, you must not commit adultery, uh, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and your mother. He starts going through the Ten Commandments. I mean, these are Ten Commandments were religiously followed by religious Jews at the time. And, and this guy says, what do I have to do to be saved. What do I have to do to have eternal life? 
And Jesus tells him some of the, the Ten Commandments. You've got to follow the, the Torah. And the man replied, I, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. He was just waiting to share that. He was just waiting to share that. It's really interesting Jesus' response, though. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Just come and follow me and watch the guy's response. But when he heard this, he became very what? Filled with joy. So excited. You know, it was like his pastor telling him, like, hey, we're going to talk about money this week. He walked away very sad. You'll find, um, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. You'll find, though, that there's generally, generally three responses to Jesus in the book of Luke as he teaches on generosity. And this is a thread that's throughout all the book of Luke. This is a huge, important emphasis. Well, I'll tell you guys why in a moment. But here's the three general responses. It's sadness, like, like this guy. It's scoffing, like laughing and dismissing and finding the reasons why this is a dumb teaching and I don't have to follow it and because of some exception or because of um, I'm special or because it's a dumb teaching and God doesn't really need this or whatever reason for scoffing. So there's sadness as a response, there's scoffing, and then there's surrender where people surrender their will to God's will. And in this moment, it says he walks away sad for he was very rich. He was very rich. Jesus gives them the Ten Commandments, right? He says, see, this is what you need to do. And he's like, oh, I got that handled. And then Jesus gives them the one thing that he doesn't have handled because in the Ten Commandments, you know, it says, don't serve any other God before me. All of a sudden, he's clarified. He puts his finger right on the blind spot of this young man and he says, okay, are you going to follow your money or follow me? Are you going to follow your money or are you going to follow Jesus? We all like to think of ourselves as good people, right? I do. I'm, I'm generally a good person. And, but here's the thing for me, and I, I think it might be for others too. It's like we'll pick the things that are like, that make sense to us and that, we're, that most naturally fit us. Like there's certain Ten Commandments we're all really good at. Like some people are, are really good at not murdering people. How many of you guys are good at that? If you guys not good at that? Uh, how, many guys, um, how many of you guys are good at not coveting what your neighbor has? Well, I got really quiet. There was a few people that were like, I feel like, yeah, I don't care what my neighbor has. And some people, they don't struggle with that. Others do. Some people are great at not committing adultery. Some people are like, well, I'm faithful 29 days out of 30. Is that faithful? So there's things that we see in Scripture and we're like, oh, I'm, I'm good at this. And we pick and like, I'm a good person because I do these things. But there's always a blind spot. We always fail in some area. And Jesus sees the failure in this man. He sees it. It's so clear. And he doesn't let this guy get away with it. Because in this culture, in this day and age, check this out. He was wealthy, and people saw it, like very wealthy. And he was very good, very religious. He was following all the rules. And so in this day and age, people be like, oh, he follows the rules, that's why he's blessed. Have you guys ever heard that before? He follows all the rules, and that's why he has this amazing life. 
And so he, everyone's let him get away with it his whole life. Like, you're amazing and you're incredible and you're wealthy. And like, there's the, there's the connection. And, and the people who are poor and have nothing and life has gone disastrously for them. You know, you know they probably haven't followed you know, the, the law well. And they, they're not as good of people as this guy is. But Jesus, he teaches this in, in your notes. Um, in, in, the, in the number one, the first note, it says this, you either serve God or money. You cannot serve both. In Luke 16, in a, in a teaching on giving, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't do it. You can't do it. And... Um, Jesus will not do what everybody else, his parents probably, his community, the friends around him, he will not avoid the truth. He gives them the truth. He, he says, you can either follow me or you can follow your money. Everybody else is telling you you can follow both. Everybody else in your life is saying, you can do, uh, you, can, you can let your money and your pocketbook, you can let that lead your life and still follow God. Because we want that kind of success. What they're doing is they're kind of painting their own idol through his life and saying, I want what he has, and so if I can just get there, if I can live the, uh, this version of a religious dream, we'd call it the American dream. If I could just get more and have that, and if there's an equation that can get me that by like following these rules and these guidelines and these business principles, if I could do all that and get that, then I'm good. And you're building up a, like your own kingdom. And you're following a God that is not God. And Jesus can't let us do that. He's not going to let us get away with it. And he, and he just paints the picture so vivid. And he says, okay, all you have to do, the only little thing that you have left is to let go of your wealth and live for the kingdom of God. Follow me or follow your money. Do you see how real it's gotten? And he walks away sad. He walks away Sad because he can't give this up. Who knows if it's for the money or if it's for the, the, the coveting of other people who want his life. Who knows? But do you see the, the, the choice we have? Many times when we, in our culture, look at a story like this, we're like, man, that is so hard for wealthy people. Even in the rest of the, the chapter, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. You know? And, but it's... What Jesus is saying is like, it's, it's really impossible. He even affirms that. He says, what is impossible for people is possible with God because everyone's like, well, if he can't get to heaven, how can we? I feel this story is a story for the American church. This is a story for you and me. Because it's really easy for us to not think that we're the rich young ruler to walk and be like, hey, look what we have going on and not see the blind spot. I don't want us to be, I don't, this, this, I'm preaching to myself, friends. I do not want to be the, the, the wealthy young pastor who thinks he's not wealthy because I'm comparing myself to others or we're the rich young church who's, you know, we don't have enough and we're not, we don't have a, a money issue. We don't have a, a God issue because we're not wealthy. Let me, let me give you a few statistics. Michael brought one up last week. Um, 
If you're making $50,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of wealth in the world. We don't think we're wealthy because we're always comparing ourselves to other people. Like, my, my business isn't that successful because look at that business. My bank account's not that big or great because look at that one. My life isn't successful because of, look at that one. It's always, it's the disease of more. It's the disease of discontentment and entitlement and no one's happy. And we're always comparing, comparing, comparing. And, but if we were to look at the facts and we look in the mirror, I mean, just look at some of this. If you're making $25,000 a year, if you make just $25,000, you are easily in the top 10% of the world. The World Bank estimates that over 72% of the population in Sierra Leone is living on a dollar a day. A dollar a day. That means their year income is maybe $365, give or take some. And, and I, my fear is that we would have the blind spot to, at times, think that we can serve money and God. The truth is, money's not evil. How many of you guys know that the Bible doesn't teach that money's evil? And I'm not teaching that. Jesus didn't teach that. The love of money is what leads to all kinds of evil. The corruption that's going on in countries like Sierra Leone with leadership is because of love of money. It's because of greed. So greed is a problem with the poor, it's a, pro- it's a problem with the rich, it's a problem in, in between. But friends, it is easy for those who live in opulence not to realize how wealthy they are. Because when's ever enough enough? When do you see people saying, man, I'm so content with my life? I want to be a church that's freed from that stuff. Freed from that stuff. You cannot serve God and money, and here's the here's the crux. Here's the moment of truth for the the rich young ruler. He says, "What do I have to do to get eternal life?" And Jesus just says one thing: "Follow me, not your money." And it's clear: eternal life or your wealth. It doesn't mean he can't that can't be utilized for God or or good. But what are you going to follow? It make, he makes it so clear. He, he sees you are serving both and you're really serving money. Follow me, not your money. And um, reminds me of this uh, reality about, about us people. When we were in um, Rwanda, Samantha, who's our children's director, she, she, we were talking with some of the, the African leaders. We were talking with um, Julius and, and uh, Jonathan and and she goes, I love monkeys. And I was like, I didn't know that about Samantha, that she loves monkeys so much. She's like, I was in Costa Rica, there's monkeys in the trees, and they're, they're chattering, and they're beautiful, and they're incredible creatures. And she's like, it's just so wonderful being so close to a creation, and monkeys are wonderful. And, and, uh, and, and she's like, do you, do you guys have monkeys? I, I love monkeys. Do you love monkeys? And my friend Jonathan, Reverend Jonathan Titus Williams has a deep baritone and he leaned across the table and he said, we love the monkeys. We love to eat them. And the smile that, all of a sudden he's like, they are delicious in this deep voice. Like a tear came down Samantha's face. And the other pastors 
around the table, just like mouths watering and salivating. Oh, there are no monkeys in Freetown anymore. <laughs> Do you know how um, many cultures catch monkeys? They create a trap. It's like a, they'll take a coconut or a box and they have a small hole in it and they'll put like, like a coin in it. And then a monkey will see this shiny thing and it'll like reach its little, little paw hand in there. And then what do they do? They grab it. And it, it traps them. How does a monkey trap trap a monkey? Through their own greed. They can't get out because their hand gets too big when they're holding on to it. How do you get out of a monkey trap? You just let go. You, all they have to do is let go. I was trying to think through this, and I was like, what, what is going on in the, in the mind of a monkey? Like, how, do monkey, how could monkeys help other monkeys not get caught in the trap of the shiny? Like, how could they preach, and how could they? And I was thinking about it, and so I came up with a few things. Um, that monkeys could do to help one another. You know, a monkey could just begin talking about it, like make others aware of it. Hey guys, there's this coin, there's a trap thing. If you grab, just like I'm doing it, um, you, you'll be trapped and just tell the other monkey. So don't go after the shiny things because you'll be trapped. They could just tell others about what others should do. Um, you can have uh, some that begin reading about it, studying about it. We need to st- study about greed and the shiny things and, the mo- and what traps us. And they can start reading. They can learn to read their Bibles and learn what Jesus taught about. You know, if, imagine what could happen in the monkey world if there could be an upgrade on this understanding and knowledge. And then, you know, once they have the biblical knowledge and once they've got relational connections, then they could begin preaching on it. Hey, monkeys, keep your hands out of the monkey trap. It'll trap your life. And they could just start preaching to other people and telling other monkeys to do what they're not doing. They could even Instagram it. If they got technology to do it, they can Instagram, you know, like, don't do this. But you could do all those things. You have the knowledge. You have the biblical knowledge. You could be telling other people what to do. You could be having conversations, earnest conversations about how not to get trapped in a monkey trap. But what really releases you? Knowing all of that, what actually gets you out of the monkey trap? Letting go. Letting go. How many of us here today have been caught a little bit in the American dream and have believed the lie that you can serve God and money. It's an easy trap. I'm, I'm preaching to myself today, guys. It is an easy trap. When I was walking around seeing the poverty, I mean, it was just like scales coming off your eyes on how, how ridiculous the things we get caught up on. How many traps we have our hands in. And how easy it is just to let go. That's not going to give us contentment. That's not going to give me joy. That's not going to give me happiness. That's not going to bring freedom to my life. That's not going to change me. Like, what am I thinking? And there's a, I saw an African church with people making far less but giving far more than the people in American churches who are making far more and yet giving far, far less. It's because we haven't learned the most basic thing the monkey trap. We got to let go or we're going to be enslaved. That's how the hunters come and they just whack them on the head and the monkeys are dead. And I feel like Satan uses that kind of ploy with, with Christians. And so, um, I don't know 
what it looks like for you, but like I carry my money around in this. And I'm like, wherever I travel, I got it in my pocket, I got my hands on, I got my hands closed around this thing. And what God is teaching me is to be more open-handed. He's teaching me to not walk the path of the rich young ruler. Next week we'll talk a little bit about this, but it's not, it's not surprising to me that the next chapter from the rich young ruler, there's a story about a rich man named Zacchaeus. Nobody likes because he's a tax collector. Nobody likes because he's an obvious sinner. And, he, and Jesus said it's near impossible for a rich man to find the kingdom. But then there's the story of this rich man who meets Jesus. He's, his hands are clenched. His hands are closed. And when he meets Jesus, guess what happens? He opens his hands. Because generosity is about our being, not just our doing and his heart has been changed. And the heart change transformation is best displayed in the book of Luke when people are generous. Because they're saying, that's not my God. You are my God. I'm going to serve you and my money is going to serve me as I serve you. Everything I own belongs to you. My bank account belongs to you. My job belongs to you. My assets belong to you, God. Everything I own is yours. Friends, could we become a church that is open-handed, not clenched, not caught, not enslaved, but free. Amen? Here's my challenge for you. Be decisive today in your generosity. Be decisive in the step you need to take. Maybe it's not, maybe you're not ready to tithe yet, but you're ready to give a percentage. Maybe it's time to tithe. Maybe it's time to give up some of the things that God has been asking you to give up and begin giving generously. It's really easy to give to what we want to give to. It's really hard sometimes to give to what God wants us to give to until we let go. When we let go, it's like, oh, it's easy. It's easy. It's easy. Be decisive in your generosity. This week, set aside a portion of money, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, I don't know, and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to somebody. And maybe give them cash. If it's not wise, maybe you need to buy something because they can't handle the, the finances on their own, but they, they have a need, then go buy them some food or buy them what, be generous. Like, be decisive today. Don't leave today without taking a step of generosity. How are you going to be set free? And how are you going to build the kingdom with what God has given you? Be decisive in your generosity. If you need to pray and talk with your spouse and wife about generosity, do that. But this week, be decisive about being generous. Jesus calls us to generosity, not some years from now, but today. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Thank you that you are the generous God, teaching us to be generous people. Lord, thank you that me and uh, the team got to witness a generosity that if we had it in America, it would change the world. So generous. In the face of so much poverty. Thank you that there are, are gifts that we need to receive from other people and other churches and other nations. Help us to be an open-handed church. Amen.